Good morning, church, and good morning to anyone watching online this morning. How about you just turn to your neighbor and just say, man, Grace looks amazing on you today. Grace looks amazing on you today. You see what I did there? Hey, also, whoop, happy birthday, Edward Husband. We love you. We love the Husband family. Amazing friends and um, been a part of our church family for a long time now. 12 years maybe or so, but anyway, Edward, happy birthday. Thanks for coming to church on your birthday. It's awesome to see you. Um, hey, uh, just a, a wee promo or heads up. Uh, in On the 15th of May, uh, a couple of weeks from tomorrow, I'm going to be starting a men's discipleship um, course kind of every second week down here at Thrive. It's called Battle Ready. Um, Rowan, George and Phil Uden have been uh, leading a battle ready on a morning and um, I was going to say I hate mornings um, but they've been leading it really well but it's time to start another one in an evening for guys. I know there's a real need there and it's not going to be flashy. Um, It's just going to be kind of me, the Holy Spirit and the Bible. Um, And so if you're interested in studying the Word, getting the most out of the Word, doing some relationship with some other guys, just kind of being vulnerable in those moments as well, uh, it's going to be about an hour. Um, So we'd love you to be a part of that. Just come and see me or sign up at info or just turn up on Monday the 15th at either 7 or 7.30. I haven't decided yet, but I'll let you know. We'll just keep you on your edge of your seat. Um, so that's going to be cool. So the Word of God is powerful, it's sharp, um, and it's going to be good getting around the Word together. Speaking of the Bible, actually, we're going to go jump straight into Colossians chapter 1 this morning. You know, the Bible has become or is becoming the most controversial book in the world at the moment. It says a lot of big stuff. It's... Um, it's also ironically the the book that shines the greatest light to all humanity. Uh, it's it's you know it's incredible. The Word of God. Um, it's um, a few years ago. I don't know if this is still the case. It's the most bought book in the world. It was the most stolen book in the world. The most popular book. It's um, it's incredible. So we're going to jump into this um, amazing passage. And actually, it's a prayer. That Paul, that Paul is praying for the perch. And um, <laughs> there's a good start, eh? Uh, he's, he's praying this um, incredible prayer because he, he is, he's seeing this group of people and he's like, I can see what you need. I can see the, this revelation that you're not yet carrying and I can... I want, I want to pray this because there's a, there's a deposit from heaven that you need. <laughs> so he's praying that prayer for this church, and we need this prayer today. We need this word in our lives 
today. So just going to, this whole passage of Colossians 1 is amazing. And I, I remember actually it's about an 18-year-old just now. Someone wrote out this whole chapter for me and delivered it and made this beautiful kind of card and said, this is, I believe God's saying this is for you. So anyway, hopefully this is like a message for you this morning. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's the Holy Spirit who wants to give us, you know, knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And so that you may live a life worthy. Everyone say worthy. Worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you, turn to your neighbor and say, so you, <laughs> may have, this is the kicker, great endurance and patience. <laughs> you know, you only need that when you've got to endure and be patient. All right. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That's awesome. We've got a kingdom of light that we're a part of. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Come on. And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. This is Jesus. In whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is an intense passage. This is a powerful passage passage here that we, you know, Paul is bringing this context that there has been a rescue. There has been, this is to the church, right? This is a message to the church. You've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the sun, and it's the kingdom of light. And and so there's there's this dark kingdom that the world has been in, a dark dominion that the world exists in outside of Christ. Now, that's intense. But when you, and, and you can think of the, this darkness, is actually, it's kind of like it's a bit of a wraparound with the world at the moment. There is a, you know, there's a, it's, it's not an easy time at the moment. And I guess it's never been when the, when the, the prince of this world, the, the devil, he is, he's looking to establish an, a, a dominion here on the planet. It's intense, right? It's intense. It's heavy. But then when you, you just kind of look beyond that, you go right back to Genesis. And when we see this creation story in the book of Genesis and this stark contrast of what we need now from a rescue from darkness. Because in Genesis, we, we see this this incredible foundation, we see the world is actually born into this incredible foundation of, of hope with, with the expectation that the beauty that God made was only going to increase on this earth and, and there'd be promise and there'd be abundance. And, you know, the Creator, God, the Creator said, let there be, let there be. Let there be, let there be light, let there be, you know, let there be stars. And every let there be was like, you know, he just, 
got a paintbrush and just went, there's beauty. There's wonder. There's, there's just this incredible solar system <laughs> that we exist within. And, and, and you know, there's, there's the birds and the bees and the flowers and the tree and the moon up above and a thing's called love. <laughs> this planet and the way that it's been positioned even in the solar system just for me to just even stop and think if we were 100 k's closer to the sun and the vastness of it would be too, too hot, it wouldn't work. Just the way that the moon is positioned at just the right size and just the right balance around the earth that creates tides to clean our shores. And, you know, you could just look at the hands of the creator and go, that's not possible for it to happen accidentally. I'm sorry if you believe that, but I just don't believe that. I believe the Bible created, the word of God says that he created the world and he created in that place in uh, Genesis chapter 2, it says that he created a specific haven for people. There was this garden in the east, it says, called Eden. And there he placed people. And, 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 he, and this was the idea that people would have a home and a location. and a, You know, that God cares about where his people kind of land on this, in this world. And the amazing thing is, is that this, um, the term for heaven or paradise is, in fact, Gan Eden meaning the Garden of Eden. And so you can see that actually God was establishing something beautiful, something that was of heaven on earth. And the tree of life was what, you know, Adam and Eve were meant to eat from. And, and we've got this incredible scenario that happened in creation that the earth was birthed in beauty and wonder and promise. And, and whether you see the, the account of Genesis as, as strictly poetic or a historical documentation, you know, the planet is off to an incredible start. <laughs> like, it's like, woohoo! This world is beautiful. And this powerful mandate is given to Adam and Eve as well in Genesis 28. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And, and over every living creature that moves on the ground, there's this expectation that the Garden of Eden wasn't meant to be stagnant and static. It was meant to move out beyond just this boundary and, and expand throughout the world. And, but you know... The Genesis story in Genesis 3, it just started all going belly up because of a, another fruit tree, a deceiving serpent, and some poor decisions. And, and, and the story of Adam and Eve's demise in Eden is, is similar to us in a way that, you know, when we receive or could, could be similar to us receiving an incredible gift and perhaps it's a new car, a home, a relationship, a job, and sabotaging it. And Adam and Eve, they unwittingly sabotaged the beauty of creation as they grasped something that would only be temporary and provide something that would only meet a very temporal need. And they were deceived in that. And in that Adam and Eve, you know, the story goes on, chose to subject them. They, as, they, as they chose that deception, as they bought into that lie, 
they subjected themselves to the power and the words of the devil, the serpent. In doing so, they became subjected to the serpent's dark dominion. And their innocence was lost, and ultimately, mankind became subject to the dominion of darkness that we have been rescued from because of Jesus, right? But it's still the same today in many ways. The enemy wants to deceive us out of our inheritance. He wants us to sabotage our future. So anyway, I just said quite a lot then. Just thought I'd just give you a little bit of an overview in the context of kind of like, you know, a bit of a dance through that first few chapters in, in Genesis. And the big, the big question I want to, you know, I guess propose, put out there, you know, that Jesus, that Jesus really asks us, because I think he is asking us this, is, is, is this planet and its people able to be redeemed? Can this planet, can this people be redeemed from the dominion of darkness? Can our families, can our future, can our disappointments be redeemed from the dominion of darkness? And I want to jump right back now into the New Testament because ultimately I want to be talking about Jesus today. And right at the start, John the Baptist makes this big entrance. And he's actually the, the last Old Testament prophet, right? And John, John sees Jesus coming. It says this in, in John, written by another John, <laughs> uh, chapter 1, verse 29. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why would John call Jesus the Lamb of God? We sung about the Lamb of God and I've always thought, man, that's not a very seeker sensitive song like. You know, back in the day, I'd be like, what if unbelievers come in and they see us, hear us singing to a lamb? And I'm like, these Christians are really weird. <laughs> you probably know the story, many of you Bible scholarly people, of this um, story and the context of Jesus being the lamb of God as a foreshadowing of Jesus within the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, um, in Exodus, Israel is about to be set free from Egypt out of 400 years of slavery. And God said, take the lamb's blood and put it on the doorpost and the lentil of my house. And my angel of judgment is coming through the land of Egypt. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So on that day when John saw Jesus, he recognized Jesus as the Passover lamb of God. How powerful and how beautiful is that? How, how incredible is that? And, you know, as John had opened the Torah, the Old, the Old Testament, I guess, and he'd read this ancient story of how lives, have a, how his great-great-grandparents were rescued 
and protected from the angel of death by this lamb that was, you know, killed and put on the doorpost. That, and John's eyes were opened as he read this to who Jesus really was. And he had, he had grasped this prophetic understanding of what Jesus would do for all the people in the world. That he would be the one who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus is a big deal. Jesus is a big deal in the Bible before even Jesus was in the Bible, in the New Testament, right? <laughs> and you know, if we, if we take our eyes off Jesus, we can lose our way around the Bible even. In, in the Old Testament, I heard this re recently, in the Old Testament, He's predicted in the Gospels, He's revealed in the Acts, He's preached in the Epistles, He's explained, and in the book of Revelation, He's expected. See, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the Word and is the Word. So all the way through the Bible, Jesus, the living Word, is to be discovered. And when we're reading the Word, we need to ask ourselves, where's Jesus on these pages? Not first, where am I in this story, but what's Jesus saying? And I'm saying this because I'm really kind of building on you know, my message a few weeks ago and Lynn's message last week. And, you know, in our generation, in our time, the truth of who Jesus is and, and even down to what he thought on moral issues has become subjective and flexible. And we need to know our Jesus. We really need to know our Jesus. And the enemy is trying to create a storm, and he is trying to blow Christ's followers away. He's trying to do everything he can to intimidate and put us in a box. And I, wanna, I believe that this is a time for us to go deeper in the Word of God, to go deeper and to discover who Jesus is in the Word, to put our roots down deeper. You know that trees will, their root system of, of a tree will actually grow into the prevailing wind. It will look to get a sure footing against what is coming against it. And we need to know the word when the world is saying, no, 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 this is how you live. We need to get deeper in the word and go, no, 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 this is who I am. You know, there's this tree in Jeremiah 17, and I love it. It's this tree that's, that doesn't fear in a drought. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. It's this tree that says that it sends its roots out to the stream. These, it took some effort. <laughs> so anyway, John. He was able to identify who Jesus was as the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world because he, have a, he had a revelation through the Word. And he had a revelation probably because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is amazing about John. And the angel had said this to John's father before John was born, that, that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb, you know. It's, and then when Mary, who's carrying Jesus, rocks up to see Elizabeth, John's mother, the Bible says that John leapt as a baby. <laughs> you 
you know, Holy Spirit-like manifestation. <laughs> Woohoo! The Savior is here. So let's just jump into this thought about the Passover. And I know we're after Easter, and we usually talk about the stuff before Easter, but Easter's coming next year, so I'm just ahead of the curve. The Passover festival was being celebrated. Um, actually, the, le- the lead up to the Passover was actually um, happening right before Jesus' crucifixion. And the very day that Christ was crucified as the sacrificial lamb, as John has, has prophesied, the Passover festival was happening. And it become a really important event on the Jewish calendar, right? They're like, this is the day that we have been called out of slavery. Let's get our lambs. And what's amazing, on the eve of the Passover festival, Israel's high priest tied the Passover lamb to the altar of sacrifice. And at that exact moment, outside of the city, of Jerusalem, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was being nailed to the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. This is happening in parallel right now with the Passover. Then for six hours, both the Passover Lamb and Jesus, the Lamb of God, waited for death. And then finally on the ninth hour, 3 p.m., the high priest ascended the altar at the temple and sacrificed the Passover Lamb. And at that exact moment on the cross... Jesus, you know, his words rung out, possibly over Jerusalem. It is finished. It is finished. And he gave up his last breath. And in Matthew 27, a centurion was there at his foot. And it, and it says that those who were with him, they were guarding Jesus. And they, they saw the earthquake and all that had happened. And they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. The cross is such a powerful intersection in all of human history. <laughs> so I'm laughing at myself. Must have sounded funny. I get emotional often if you're new here. Uh, you know, on the cross, I've always been struck by the acts of Jesus while he was on the cross. Um, while he was on the cross suffering, he connected people. Friends became family. John, you're to look after my mum now. He led a thief to heaven. He forgave those who crucified and persecuted him. And these were the beautiful works of Jesus, the compassion on display of Jesus while he suffered. And as his body was shutting down, Jesus created this masterpiece, and it was his finished work on the cross. So good. And, you know, our theme for, for this year is going to be the cross. We're going to just... We just feel, have a sense that this is a time to celebrate the powerful work 
of the cross. It's the cross that draws a dividing line in history. We even date ourselves around the life and death of Jesus Christ. By the cross, we are brought out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. No. I just wanted this graphic to display the extreme contrast between light and black at the intersection of the cross. Jesus made a way for us to get to the Father at the cross. No other person has ever lived and died like Jesus Christ in all of history. As I said a few weeks ago, I think C.S. Lewis coined the phrase that when you look at Jesus' life, you can only come to three conclusions, that either he was a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And I can't see that he was a liar or a lunatic. He is Lord. He is king the cross defines our faith the image of the cross defines our faith more than any other thing when jesus died on the cross he rose from the dead the bible says that he defeated death sin and sickness 1 peter 2:24 on the cross jesus gave up his rights and he showed us that love looks like laying down our lives for one another. The cross is the reset of our lives. The cross creates cultural contrast. It brings distinction to followers of, of Jesus. We're no longer of this world. That's what the cross calls us into. That we're no longer of this world. Paul says we're strangers and aliens. That means that, that we look different. We talk different. We might smell different. I don't know. But we should think differently. We should think differently about what we put our time to, our money to, our expectations on, our prayers towards because of the cross. We don't look like the world. At one point in the book of Galatians, Paul addresses the Jews as they had been boasting, they were Christian Jews as well, about what made them distinctly unique or superior, spiritual chosen beings. And this is weird in that culture, but it's true, and it says this in Galatians 6, verse 12, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. And Paul goes on to define what his whole ministry is about. The only thing that he would boast about, you know, Paul was a very talented man, he was a very gifted and scholarly man, but he said this, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul's, you know, he's putting this, he's saying it, but not saying it. He's saying, may, may we never boast in our gifts, our works, our knowledge, our assets, 
our good looks. Uh, <laughs> you know. May we only boast in the cross of Christ. And we believe that this year, 2023, that the messages of the cross is calling us to a greater distinction. As followers of Jesus, we need to look different. We, we believe the cross is calling us into this time of understanding the authority and the freedom and the righteousness of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that if we're not already, that the cross is calling us into this activation to go, to fulfill the great commission, to go and disciple all nations, to baptize, to teach the name of Jesus. Maybe you're not going to go to another nation, but maybe it's just your next door neighbor. But the cross calls us to go. You know, I started off with Colossians 1, and I want to just kind of bring a landing to this here. Colossians 1 continues, you know, I just made the statement about he's brought us in from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. And then it goes on to say, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or, or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things. This is so massive. This is, you know, I, this is like, a, is, is he under promise and over delivering? <laughs> this is too big. He wants to hold everything together. And maybe there's someone here today that just needs to let go of what they've been trying to hold on to and control and make sense of and, and compartmentalize. And Jesus is saying, you need to let go of that so that I can hold on to it and make it come together. I want to hold your life together. It goes on to say that he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth and th or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, his shed blood is the greatest catalyst for peace that we will ever know. Just going to move through my message here and miss a bit out. This is something that Charles Spurgeon said. I find no better cure for that depression than to trust in the Lord with all my heart and seek to realize afresh the power of the peace-seeking blood of Jesus and his infinite love in dying upon the cross to put away all my transgressions. I just, the message of the cross is this incredible rescue mission from the dominion of darkness. Jesus hasn't just partially rescued the world. He hasn't just partially redeemed creation and there's a whole sermon we could do in, in that 
alone, but like a paratrooper, Jesus has gone behind enemy lines and he has rescued you. He didn't leave some of you behind. He rescued all of you and he brought you into the kingdom of the light, into his kingdom of the sun. And we have redemption and we have forgiveness of the sins. And then the invitation to us all is to come to the cross is to come to the cross afresh and maybe you know you're a Christian you're like yeah the cross but I don't think the message of the cross is ever to get old it's never to grow old on us the passion of the cross is calling us to stir into life maybe there's a dormant flame in your life with your faith Jesus is he doesn't want you to be dormant he doesn't want you to just have an ember. That at the cross there is power. There was power in the name of Jesus. I wonder if everyone would just stand right now. I love that there's a line in the hymn when I survey the wondrous cross, it says. A love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. You know, Jesus today has done enough for us to give all of ourselves to Him, to not hold back but to completely immerse our lives in what it means to follow Him, to honour Him, and to reveal His goodness to the world. And when we talked this morning, when I talked about how the world was created with such an incredible foundation of hope and expectation of promise and abundance, I believe that because of Jesus Christ, that that is reset for every one of our lives here. In Ephesians, it says, before I knew you, before the foundations of the earth, I knew you to be chosen, to be holy, and to be blameless in his sight. Jesus has done enough to bring you into the fullness of his kingdom. And Jesus wants to restore people here today. He wants to restore people's lives. He is a, rest, a God of restoration and renewal. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to just give an opportunity right now. If you're here this morning, you're like, I want to know Jesus. I don't know him. I don't walk with him as a friend. I don't have an assurance of salvation. If I was to die today, I don't know where I'm going. Jesus wants to give you an assurance that when you die, that you will be with him in paradise, that you will be with him. And if you're here this morning right now and you're like, I have no grid, no grid for that. I don't know if I'm saved or not saved. The Bible says that it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It's a gift, free gift, free gift from Jesus. But the cross puts a demand on us. It says, 
I want to call you into another kingdom, into another way of thinking, into another way of living. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus just with every eye open and every head raised, just lift your hand up as just a, as a public declaration. And I, I know that that could be awkward and feel a bit embarrassing. But if you're like, I want to give my life to Jesus, is there anyone here today who wants to do that this morning for the first time? Or maybe you want to recommit your life and just say, yep, Glenn, I've been lukewarm and I've diminished the power of the cross. Is there anyone here this morning? It's okay. It's cool. If you're here today and you're like, I want to engage with the message of the cross in my life, because it's a big deal. I want to fully embrace what it means to live and stand in the promises of Jesus Christ to see the fullness of restoration and renewal in my life. I just wonder if you want to partner with that, let's just put our hands on our hearts and I just pray for everyone here this morning. Jesus, we just, we stand in great awe and appreciation of your life laid down on the cross for us. We're so grateful that you cried out, it is finished. It is finished. The struggle of your life was finished so that the beauty of creation, the beauty of restoration, the beauty of forgiveness and redemption could be revealed to all mankind. And so today we, we want to follow you. We want, to, we want to carry on from what you completed. We want to pick that up and we want to just say, we want to be a part of your finished work. We want to reveal this finished work of who you are to the world around us. And so today we just say we're all in. We're all in, Jesus. Just take our lives and restore what needs to be restored. And we thank you for hope. We thank you that the cross releases hope. And I declare hope today over lives. I declare fresh hope and fresh faith this morning in Jesus' name. Oh, we thank you, Lord. And we bless your name today. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome.